let me ask you this. Have you been experiencing the joy of the Lord in your life? Have you been choosing the joy of the Lord? Good. It's a choice. Joy is a choice, and I trust that we are. I'm sure that when uh, CT saw my notes for today, he had a hard time choosing joy. Um, Not so much the notes, but the manuscript. I try to give him a manuscript that I go by, and there's only about 10 pages. We shouldn't, 1, 30, 2 o'clock, we should be fine. But um, anyway, I, I, I want us to go to Philippians chapter 3, and, um, <laughs> and uh, I'm going to continue what we started, even though we were not here last Sunday morning. Uh, we started into chapter 3, and we've looked at chapter 1 and a single-minded focus on the gospel is the key to joy. Chapter 2, we focused on a servant mindset, and that mindset is the doorway to joy. Today, again, we look at chapter 3, and the spiritual mind that is the realm of joy. And today we're going to talk about kingdom citizenship. That's the realm in which Christians live and begin to experience the kind of joy that God has for us. Now, as I was preparing this uh, second part of chapter 3, my mind went to Matthew's gospel and the process that Jesus described of, of a deepening relationship, even though it was just shortly mentioned. But in Matthew chapter 16, verses 23 and 24, you remember the story where Jesus had been talking about the crucifixion, talking about his death, and um, at that point, Peter come along and said, you know, don't, don't be talking like that. You know? And Jesus rebuked Peter, and he said, get behind me, Satan. Wow, that's, that's pretty strong. But this is why he said this, and I think this is, you're an offense to me. Why? Why would it be offensive to Christ that Peter didn't want him to die? This is what he said, because you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You do not have a kingdom mindset. You do not have a spiritual perspective or mindset. Let me paraphrase that a little bit. Peter, you're an offense because you're still tied into the mindset of this world and have not yet begun to live within the realm of kingdom thinking. Then Christ goes on to show us this progression that I believe Paul kind of reiterates in chapter 3 when he says, If anyone, verse 24, desires to come after me, let him deny himself. You want to follow Jesus? First step, self-denial. You must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Philippians chapter 1 is about denying self. It's about self-denial. It's about a single-minded focus on the gospel as the key to joy. I can't save me, only the good news of the gospel provides for my salvation. Chapter 2 of Philippians is about self-death. It talks about gaining the servant mind. Stop being selfish. Stop living for self and start living for Christ 
and for others. Let this mindset be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. What is that mindset? Serving others. Okay? So the servant-minded focus as a doorway to joy. And remember, we, we talked about Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. The Hebrew writer says, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, because there was joy in it beyond that cross. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the the shame. He was about serving and saving others. Chapter 3 of Philippians is about a spiritual depth until we live kingdom-minded as citizens of a heavenly country and servants of our heavenly king. Have you denied yourself? Do you understand you can't save you? Only the gospel of Jesus Christ brings salvation to your life. That's the first step of a relationship with God. Secondly, it's about crucifying ourselves or dying to ourselves, taking up our cross and following Jesus. And when Jesus said, take up your cross, he didn't mean coming to church with a headache. Okay, that's what some of us feel like, oh, I took up my cross for Jesus because I went and listened to that preacher and he already had a headache. That's not what it's about. It's about literally putting to death our selfish will and choosing to live for Christ. They understood what it meant when he said cross. We don't think so much. We, We probably ought to say, take up your electric chair. Maybe we would understand that better. you got to crucify yourself. Die to self. What, what happens when I die to self? I live for others. And then, thirdly, having this heavenly mindset. Verse 20 says, we are citizens of another country. In verse uh, number 20 of chapter 3. So, I want to go through very quickly the notes from last week. Just This is race review. You don't even have them in front of you unless you filled out the, you know, didn't get them all filled out last week. A reminder to rejoice. Finally, my brethren, he says in verse 1 of chapter 3, rejoice in the Lord. And then he lays out what our rejoicing cannot be in or about. And that number one thing was religion, and he compared to the Pharisees, the worship of the Pharisees, the way of the Pharisees. He said you can't be self-applauding and self-approving and self-saving and find joy, the works of the Pharisees. And then he talked about not only our religion but our resume, the things for which we are known or have relied upon. And he talked about external conformity to uh, religion. He said, we are the circumcision that worship God, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Okay? So he's talking about external conformity. We keep the rules. Exceptional connections. He said, I'm of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. It doesn't matter on your resume spiritually if you're connected to a whole line of missionaries or a whole line of pastors. What matters is do you know Jesus and walk with him in a personal way that pleases him and experiencing the joy of the Lord. And as Susan talked about earlier, so that we can express the joy of the Lord in the world outside the four walls of this church, we'll know joy to the world has come. Amen? Thirdly, ecclesiastical uh, commendations. He said, concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. Now, for us, we on our way through that. For them, they go, ooh, he was a Pharisee. Wow. 
He was really extreme. He was, he was spiritual. No, he was dead until the Lord saved him. And as soon as the Lord saved him, one of the first things he did was he stopped being a Pharisee because he understood the gospel. Concerning the law, he said, concerning righteousness, which is of the law, I was blameless. An extreme commitment. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. I attacked everybody who didn't believe exactly like I wanted them to. Paul said, stop rejoicing in that stuff. Our rejoicing is in the Lord. Number two, a revelation of the righteousness of Christ in verses 7 through 12. In verse 9, he clarifies what righteousness is and where it comes from. He said, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is uh, from God by faith. His perception, Paul said, I used to be all of those things that I talked about as a Pharisee. Verse 7, but what things were gained to me, what things were in the past, important, valuable, prized, these I have counted, this is past tense, I have counted loss, unimportant, for the cause or for Christ. Everything that I had relied on to make me appear godly, to make me appear spiritual, to make me seem like I was a great guy, I have denounced it as loss. Not, a, not an asset, a liability, completely. How do you view your past? It's gone. It's, it's loss if you depended on that to save you. Secondly, he talked about in the present tense, in verse 8. He said, now at this point, I not just have counted it loss, I count it, currently, present day, that's a present tense verb, right now I consider my past and all those things that I relied on as rubbish. And we talked about the word dung, if you heard the message last week. Dung is not something you brag about. It's not something you boast about. It's something you just, you eliminate it. You don't want any part of your life, okay? And so apart from Jesus, there's nothing reliable for salvation, or for right standing with God. And then he said, the future, that I may gain Christ. Paul knew the Lord. He said, but I want to know him. I want to gain him. I want to be found in him. Currently, presently, right now, when you see me, I want you to understand Jesus. I want to be found in him that I may gain Christ. And then his need of a proxy for righteousness. He said in verse number 9, he talks about how he had uh, basically followed righteousness in himself. He said, I don't want the kind of righteousness that is mine from the law. I want the righteousness which is of Christ from God. Okay? So he needed a proxy. He, he found true righteousness in Christ alone. Here's the, here's the conclusion, summing up to where we are today. You are not made righteous by what you do. You are made righteous by who you know. Do you know Jesus? That is accredited to your account as righteousness. Okay? Now, that means the pressure for righteousness is off of me. However... 
People get nervous when you say, oh, no, that means we don't have to do anything. We're not. No, no, no. He says the pressure for righteousness is off of me. That's on Christ. He provides the righteousness. But that righteousness is not something that he merely imputes to me. He also imparts it to me. And it becomes a part of who I am. I become, the Hebrew writer said, a partaker of his divine nature until the nature of Christ begins to permeate my life, the pursuit of relationship is squarely on my shoulders, okay? Even then, Christ is always more fervent about pursuing relationship with me than I am with him. If we could see how passionately the Lord wants to talk to you every day, how, how much he wants to hear from you every day, we, we would probably read his word more and pray more. If we understood what our relationship with God means, not to us, to him, now, <laughs> thirdly, and here, we're, get, your, get your pens ready. Here we go. All right. <laughs> a reason to reach forward. We found our righteousness. We found that our, our resume and our religion can't save us. We found that our righteousness comes by a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith. But there's a reason to reach forward. Look at verses 13 and 14. He said not in verse 12, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal. What is the goal? The prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's a reason to move forward. There's a deeper relationship to be found. There's greater joy to be experienced. And even though the word joy is not mentioned in this passage much, remember the launching pad for this chapter was rejoice in the Lord. And now he's telling us how to be able to truly do that. Because life will not give you always reasons to rejoice. Life will not always provide you with a song. The sun sometimes will not shine. But that doesn't take away our right or our reason to rejoice. Why? Because it's not in circumstances. It's not on this plane. It's on this level that I experience the joy of the Lord. A reason to reach forward. Paul desires something here. He urges upon us the importance of pressing toward the prize of the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul desired perfecting. This is interesting. Paul pursued perfection. Our first response is, well, nobody's perfect. I agree. Jesus is the only perfect one. That's why he has to provide my righteousness before God. But if I'm really in a relationship with him, I want to be like him. If I'm really walking with Jesus, my goal is to get closer. That is my pursuit. And Paul desired perfecting. Now look at verse 12. He disclaims perfection in verse 12. He said, not that I had already attained or am already perfected. I'm not perfect. 
Can you agree with that? Say amen. Thank you. You just made me feel great. You just told me I'm not perfect. I thought I was perfect. No. No, we, none of us claim perfection. He disclaims it. I haven't arrived. I haven't attained. I'm not already perfect. Now, I don't know of a more godly example in Scripture other than Jesus than the Apostle Paul. He was a great man of faith. He refused, however, to be satisfied with his current level of spiritual attainment. He desire or he disclaims perfection. Secondly, he desires perfection or maturity in verse 12. He said, "But I press on." Mm. In verse 14, he says, "I press toward the goal." That word press doesn't seem as if he's talking about a casual glance in the direction of. He's pursuing this. He wants a deeper relationship with God. He he says, I disclaim perfection, but I'm not going to hide behind imperfection as a reason to live a spiritually shallow life. Life. Please get this. Please get this. I am not perfect, but I must strive for excellence. I must strive to become more like my perfect Redeemer. The word here, maturity and perfection, are interchanged. Same Greek word, basically meaning a perfecting or a maturation process, okay? No matter how sanctified I may claim to be experientially, the pursuit of spiritual maturity or spiritual perfecting never ends relationally. Please get that. No matter how sanctified I claim to be by experience, my pursuit of relationship ongoingly ought to be the motivation of my life. I want to be like Jesus. In verse, or number three, in verse 15, he defends perfection. He just. First of all, he disclaims it. Secondly, he desires it. And thirdly, he defends it. Let as many, let us, he says in verse 15, as many as are perfect. Wait a minute, you just said you're not perfect. You just said I'm imperfect. And now you're saying let us, as many of us as are perfect, as many of us as are mature or maturing in our relationship with Christ have this mind. What mind? That I'm not perfect, but I'm in pursuit of perfection. Warren Wearsby calls it the sanctified dissatisfaction. I love that. This mindset of sanctified dissatisfaction I refuse to live at a lesser level than God is calling me to live. 
Why? Because I know that anything less, I will not be as effective for him, and I will not experience the joy that he has for me in my life. If I blow this, ladies and gentlemen, please, please, even if you're not getting this, act like you're getting this, because I will feel like a complete failure if we don't get this point. In the book of Philippians, we have to get this. God is calling every one of us to a deeper spiritual life so that we can experience a fuller awareness of his joy in us. Claim as many works of grace as you feel like necessary to complete your doctrinal expectations, but remember, the essence of spirituality is not merely experiences. The pursuit of perfection or spiritual maturity continues beyond whatever experience we may claim and continues as a growing, joyful, flourishing relationship with God. We fail to have the fullness of the joy that God desires for us when we fail to continue growing and embracing a deeper spiritual mindset as his kingdom citizens. I should be more ensconced in kingdom ideas and ideals than I've ever been. I've been walking with the Lord for a number of years. Some of you have been walking, walking with the Lord much more than I. We ought to be able to live so that the world recognizes kingdom citizenship. We ought to live so that the world recognizes there's something different about that person, and I think it's they have a different king than I have. They serve a different purpose than I serve. And they have greater joy that I have. Verses 12 and 15, I believe Paul's saying, I'm not perfect, but I'm pressing. And as for today, I am, at, I am living at the level of spiritual maturity that God has brought me to. Is this the end? Only if it's the end of my journey. Hear me. If you're alive, God has another level of spiritual depth and another height of spiritual joy for us to experience in our lives. I am not perfectly mature, but I am as mature as I can be to this point in my life. And then he, I, I, I love what he says in the next verse. Therefore, let as many of us as are mature have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise or you don't have this mindset, God will reveal even this to you. Aren't you glad God's on your side? When you stand before God to judgment, basically what's going to happen is this word's going to be turned around. This is where we will be judged. Can I tell you something? He's not going to spring any surprises on us. He's given it to us, and he will reveal to us our needs. Nevertheless, listen, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. How high have you climbed on the ladder of spiritual success? 
Don't go down, go up. There's more rungs in the ladder. There's a higher level to achieve. But the least you can do is maintain that level of spiritual maturity that you have achieved. That's what Paul says. If I walk that I've, to the degree that I've already attained, I will find the joy that God has for me in my life. Wow. Anything else? God will reveal it to me. Isn't that great? Tomorrow morning, God may reveal something to you about you that you've never known about you. He may reveal a spiritual need in your life that you for years have prayed about, read about, never even thought about it applying to you. And all of a sudden, God says, you know, you need to deal with this in your life. You know that neighbor that you hate? I don't hate them. I just don't like them. No. You know that neighbor? You need to make them some cookies and go create peace. Well, Lord, it's there. No, no, no. God is revealing to you that next level of spiritual depth so that you can find joy. Now, if you don't have a neighbor, the Holy Spirit will tell you what you need to deal with, okay? <laughs> just listen to him. He'll reveal it to you. Just make sure you're walking to the right level. Uh, again, how do we pursue the prize? How do we chase it? Number one, he says, forget the past. Forgetting those things which are behind. What should we forget? I should forget my failures. Amen? Everybody agree? Nobody? Anybody agree? Have you failed? Forget it. If I was in New York, I'd say forget about it. Forget it. Stop letting the failures of the past hold you back from a higher level of spiritual experience and joy. He wants this prize. How do I get it? I forget the past. I forget my failures. What about my successes? We're not as, we're not as ready to give those up, are we? Because you all agreed, give up my failures. Yeah, let's forget about those things. What about your successes? Stop living in the past, ladies and gentlemen. If the past is indeed the past, there's a new day. Reach forward. Forget the failures of the past. Amen, yes. Forget the successes. Now, wait a minute. That's part of my resume. That's part of my spiritual journey. Forget about it. If, I were, if you were to talk to the Apostle Paul, he wouldn't ask about your religious resume. He'd probably say something like, how are you doing today? Is your relationship with Christ and your spiritual progress up to date today? I can live hiding behind the failures of my past. Or I can live resting on the laurels of my successes in the past. But that will not help me experience a deeper level of joy today. So he said, forget the past. 
And almost as if it's one motion, he said, forge ahead, reaching forward. Forgetting those things which are behind, comma, I reach forward. Kind of like with one hand I let go, with another hand I'm reaching out. I reach forward to those things which are ahead. It's hard to It's hard to reach forward if you won't let go of your past. The best way to break the power of the past is to presently press toward the future. Thirdly, focus on the prize. He said, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. What is the prize? Some people say, well, I just, I just want to make it to heaven. Stop it. Stop being, that's, that's not kingdom mindset. That's a little too futuristic. Okay? What about the prize of the high call of God today? Can I tell you how you can be assured of heaven? Live for him every day. Live so as the next step will not be a giant leap into the world that's coming. It'll just be the next step. Right? If you're walking in the light, where does that lead you? To the land of light. Forget the past. Forge ahead. Focus on the prize. This whole section is about how to approach present day life And this prize, as it appears in its context, at least to me, is a goal for a prize. And that prize is to experience the call of God in my life to go higher, to become more in tune with his spirit in my daily journey. That's where I find joy. Too many people are reserving and laying up all their joy for heaven. No, stop doing that. There's joy to be found in this life. Quit putting it off. As I become a more mature follower of Jesus, I experience greater levels of joy. The great goal of the Christian life, too many of us believe it's heaven. No, it isn't. The great goal of the Christian life is to be like Jesus. Amen? I just want to make heaven my home. Yeah, don't we all? How do I do that? By becoming every day more passionately in love with my king. Living for him. Let's go on. A request for responsible citizenship begins in verse 20 of this chapter. Well, it's summed up in verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Where's your citizenship? The reason some of us are so worked up about the election is because we're really living hard for this world. Can I tell you something? We have a king who rules sovereignly in the affairs, in the affairs of men. And you can trust him with your heart. What does Paul do? 
in this responsible or this request for responsible citizenship. Verse number 17, he walks the walk. Brethren, join in following my example. And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Paul said, I'm walking the walk and I'm asking you as a citizen of heaven to walk the walk. Don't just follow the example. Become the example. Walk the walk. If you follow the example, Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. If you see something that's worth emulating in the life of a fellow believer, follow that. Not follow them. Between Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and I don't even know all the apps. This world's following a bunch of weird people. I'm just telling you. Who are you following? Well, I follow this guy because I like his athletic ability. I follow this guy because I like his political opinions. I follow this guy because I like his music. How about this? How about we follow Jesus because we want to be like him? He got something better than TikTok. It's called the Bible, his word. He got a message in here for you. You need for today. He walked the walk. Secondly, he weeps for the wayward. He, he spells out there are those who used to walk worthy. They don't walk that way anymore. Verse 18, for many walk of whom I have told you often, and now I tell you not in a gossiping way. I tell you with a broken heart. I tell you weeping. They are enemies of the cross of Christ. How could anyone abandon this king? How could anyone turn their back on this way, this king? I don't know. But let's follow the trail that Paul takes us down. He said, there are those who used to walk the way of the cross, and now they become enemies of the cross against the message of the cross. They are destructive and they will be destroyed, he said, whose end is their destruction. It's destroying other people, it's destroying them. They are sensual and self, selfish and they live, whose God is their belly. We talk more about where we're going to eat than we do about Jesus. I just threw that in. I'm allowed. I'm a big guy, so I'm, I'm allowed to confess that to you. Nothing wrong with eating, enjoying, but don't live so sensually. They are proud of those things for which they f should feel shame. He said, whose glory is in their shame. There are people who will tell you straight up and down they're a believer and turn right around and do things. I'm going to get myself in trouble here. 
but they'll vote for people who do things that are totally contradictory to the way of the cross and the way of God. They glory in things that they should be ashamed of. Now, let me, here's, here's the beginning of all this, okay? That's a tragic picture, and Paul's weeping as he talks about these people. But you know where it starts? They're fixated on the wrong focus. He said, because they set their mind on earthly things. Wow. This whole chapter has been about getting our mind set right. Becoming bigger in the realm of spiritual citizenship and spiritual joy. And what's the first thing that will happen in my life? I'm not immediately going to start walking a different way. I'm not going to start destroying people's life and destroying my own life. I'm not going to just live selfishly and sensually in one afternoon. No, it starts by my mind slipping toward the things of this world rather than the things of that world. And we set our mind on earthly things. Remember what Jesus said when we opened to Peter? He said, get behind me, Satan, for you're an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You don't deny yourself. You don't deliberately serve. And you never go any deeper spiritually. You never become fully vested, committed citizens of the kingdom. But he said in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. Paul wrote about a guy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. A guy whom he had written about previously and talked about him being a servant with him. But in 2 Timothy, he writes what I think are some of the most tragic words of Scripture. He said, do your diligence to come to me because Demas has forsaken me. But here's the tragedy. Having loved this present Guys, the devil knows better than come up and knock on your door and say, Hi, I'm the devil. I would like to trap you in adultery. I would like to trap you in, in some scam or some great sin. I'd, I'd like to really mess up your life. He never does that. What does he do? He just gets us to start focusing on the wrong things until we give up the pursuit of the joy of the Lord in our lives. We've quit pursuing the spiritual mindset of a kingdom citizen having loved, not this wicked world, not this evil world, not this sensual world, not this selfish world, having loved this present world. Thank God Paul doesn't stop there. He said, our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly also wait. From what? 
We wait in this realm of kingdom citizenship for Christ, for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it what? May be like him. May be conformed to his glorious body according to the workings by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. He waits for the work to, to be completed. Listen, God started a work in you if you've ever been saved. He started a work in you. How many can say God's working in me? Can you say that? Absolutely. What did Paul say earlier in this letter? He who has begun a work in you will be faithful to complete it. Until when? To the day of Jesus Christ. To the day that he comes, transforms us into a conformity of him. Till we're like him. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Are you a kingdom citizen? Have you been conveyed from the realm of darkness to the realm of the kingdom? And are you experiencing the joy that comes with leaving that behind? This is not going to be someday. We are today kingdom citizens. We are today. And Paul is imploring us Live so that we can experience his great joy and become more like him. And the work will be completed in him. I'll tell you what, that'll bring you joy when you just stop and think, someday I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see him and I'm going to know him and I'm going to be like him. The one who saved me, the one who redeemed me, the one who adopted me, the one who conveyed me into a new kingdom, a new realm of joy. So I ask you in closing, Where's your citizenship? What world are you living for? If you're living for this one, <laughs> your joy is going to be pretty limited. If you're living for the next one, well, that's where your joy comes from. My joy comes from my Savior. Amen.